Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where economic developers from across the country spill their secrets to your host, Paul Shuren. You'll hear firsthand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how deals come together or how deals go bad. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the Economic Development Secrets podcast. On this episode, we have J.P. Nasif, the president and CEO of Jobs Ohio. Jobs Ohio is a private economic development corporation that focuses on driving job creation and new capital investment in the state of Ohio. In this episode, we'll hear uh, how J.P., a U.S. Air Force veteran, got into economic development and learn about the unique structure of the Jobs Ohio organization. We'll also learn how Jobs Ohio calculates ROI on their efforts, and I will, of course, ask about the Jobs Ohio billboards that popped up in Austin and other cities across the U.S. trying to capitalize on pandemic-related migration. Uh, be sure to listen to the end where JP shares details on the $20 billion Intel chip manufacturing project announced earlier this year. All right. Well, thank you for be being here with me today, uh, JP Nasi of uh, Jobs Ohio. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, could you give us a little bit of uh, an introduction? Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you ended up at Jobs Ohio and, and what your role is as the president and CEO. Great, great. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. Uh, person, My personal uh, story and how I got here, I grew up in an Air Force family. Uh, my uh, mom and dad, uh, uh, dad went into the Air Force uh, through RTC. And uh, like many families, we moved here with Air Force families when uh, one of the serving members was assigned to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So moved to the state of Ohio when, uh, when I was uh, just heading in just before high school in the late 70s. Uh, and that made a big impact on me because the, that, that age, I was you know an adolescent and uh, went to a place where I didn't know anyone, family didn't know anyone. And the people in the community, I believe because they have a long history and legacy, of uh, welcoming and saying goodbye to military families as they come and go. They really embraced our family, embraced me, and that made a big impression on me, and I really felt like that was wonderful. Uh, ended up staying here to go to undergrad at the University of Dayton. I went on through ROTC, got my Air Force commission, uh, and then I, I left and went uh, into active duty Air Force, uh, left Ohio and went to Southern California to the, where the space business is at Los Angeles Air Force Base. I was a young officer in my 20s, lived in Southern California. That also had a big impact and made a big impression on me that uh, enjoyed California. It was great. Uh, I got reassigned uh, to a career broadening position, to which took me back to Wright-Patterson uh, when I was 30. Uh, with full intention to do that, uh, that assignment for a year, maybe two. And then my uh, girlfriend, now wife, at the time she was my uh, girlfriend, uh, that I was dating in Southern California, said, well, when you're done there in Ohio, I'll see you see after that, maybe. And so I stayed in touch with her, uh, worked on it pretty hard. And she ended up uh, moving to New York or London first, then New York, and then back to Ohio. Again, we all had this, we had this impression be for a couple of years. And then we would go back to California or we'd go to New York. Uh, we got married, we had kids and, and, well, while I was in Dayton working, uh, I was approached by the economic development uh, organization, the regional economic development organization. I didn't know anything about economic development. Uh, 
And, and uh, they knew I had served in the Air Force because of some of the activities I had done and because of my family. And uh, the Air Force had just, or the Congress had just voted in a base closure, a BRAC, mm-hmm. in 2001. And, and uh, they were looking for someone to help them come up with their strategy for how they would protect the base uh, during the BRAC. And so talking to Carmen, my wife, uh, we had a young, by that time, a young child uh, with another one on the way. And said, let's, you know, we care about the Air Force. We really like the community and how they've embraced us. Why don't we stay for a couple of years and help with this BRAC thing? And and then we can move on after that. And so uh, we got engaged with the Dayton Development Coalition and the BRAC and the community really rallied around that. Uh, And, you know, the people at Wright-Patterson, the for the active duty, uh, the civil servants, the contractor support, they really are a world class and de- delivering everything from, you know, science and technology, research and development, uh, intelligence, cybersecurity, acquisition, logistics, maintenance. I mean, it's a pretty broad breadth of, of, uh, of an enterprise for the military. So we cared about it. So uh, that went well for, for the BRAC went well as, you know, they cut out uh, 20, 20 to 25% of the military infrastructure. Uh, we positioned Wright-Patterson to be a receiver site, uh, and it worked. And since then, the base has actually grown from, I believe, eighteen or 19,000 organic employees to 32,000 organic employees since. Wow. So it's quite an enterprise, but so we stayed what was gonna be for two years, and then uh, the, the, some members of the board asked me if I would be willing to run the organization. Again, I went back to Carmen and uh, okay, this will probably be a couple years, we'll help with the transition, and then, then we'll go. Uh, we had so we uh, then we had uh, twins so we now had four little kids and we really uh, in the date development so that's where I learned economic development the date development coalition then we left there in 2000 at the end of 2008 and I went into a private enterprise and uh, and uh, but I always stayed involved with the community. You know, we, we worked a lot with the and, 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 uh, and uh, endeavors that would support military families and veterans. And so I stayed involved with, uh, you know, the NCAA first four. We, we we built something in partnership with community partners to recognize military members, get them tickets to games and things like that. And uh, but I was pursuing, you know, private endeavors then. And then, uh, you know, around I guess it was 2018. I got a call from the, the lieutenant governor candidate. Uh, they were he and uh, Mike DeWine were running for for governor, lieutenant governor. Again, Mike DeWine was the when I was at the Dayton Development Coalition, the U.S. senator uh, f- uh, from Ohio, and, and and lieutenant governor candidate Husted was the Ohio Speaker of the House. So I knew them and I respected them, and and they were always supportive of the things that we were doing. Uh, and they said, hey, you know, we're running. If we win, we'd like you to throw your hat in for this Jobs Ohio position. And so much respect for them. Uh, again, I talked to Carmen again, and she said, absolutely, because, you know, in the ensuing period, we had a family, four kids, and uh, both Carmen and I, you know, really the value proposition and advantages of Ohio became very, very clear to us as we, you know, shifted from young uh, young people that were really looking uh, at different, maybe a few different priorities. Now that we had a family, uh, the importance of community, the importance of balance, 
of affordability and opportunity all in the same place. Really, we understood that quite a bit. And so uh, believing a lot in, the, in Mike DeWine and John Husted, we said, sure, we'll throw our hat in the ring. And that's how I ended up at Jobs Ohio in 2019. So, and, and you know, it, we... <laughs> We, we love the product of Ohio. We live the product of Ohio. You know, we're both, both of my wife's not from Ohio. She's from the East coast. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, she doesn't have any family here. My family, my parents have since moved uh, to Tennessee. They, uh, my sister uh, lives in Florida. Uh, so we're here because we love the product. I mean, we do. So, so to be able to, you know, run an organization that is unique in, in the country in terms of economic development platforms, D- delivering, you know, value and, and really promoting Ohio as the best place to, to kind of live your own version of the American dream. We believe it because we really are living it. We feel like we're living it. And if you look at what's been happening in Ohio the last few years, more and more people from around the country, around the world are investing in this value proposition too. And it's just been an amazing, uh, amazing to work with the team here at Jobs Ohio and our network partners around the state. One of them is the Dayton Development Coalition. They're one of our six network partners. So still working with that team and others. Uh, it's just wonderful. It's great to be here. We love we love the job. Uh, we believe in what we're doing and it's working. And that's, yeah, that's a great story. So you've got the, the element of kind of your first recruitment project. It sounds like was your wife getting her to, yeah. to yes, move that's to right. Ohio. And then yes. uh, I love hearing stories of uh, how people get up, get into economic development. I mean, you don't yeah. hear, uh, you know, little kids, they want to be baseball players, firefighters and that sort of thing. They, <laughs> you don't hear them say economic development very often. So it's, it's interesting how everyone ends up in this industry. Yeah. And, um, even like at the college level, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of folks with with specifically economic development on their radar at that point. So it's it's the yeah, that's right connection here is uh, yeah. is really interesting. So that's great. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Jobs Ohio itself, and tell me. I, I think I, I read a little bit and saw a little bit about the organization. You're not kind of a government entity you're kind of your own independent type of thing tell me about that organization sure. how you operate it and what you do well, I guess, specifically so so people uh, you know it's interesting about i will it's interesting about economic development because it is a much misunderstood and underappreciated industry sector and, and i think it's because it kind of lives in the seams of everything else industry academia government small p politics mm-hmm. it's right in the middle of all that and it's hard to describe to anyone that has been in any other domain what it is that you actually do from day to day. Uh, and so in, uh, obviously, I've grown a great appreciation for the people that have been doing this because it is an, a, a lot of times a thankless uh, place to work, you know, a, a industry to work. So uh, Jobs Ohio, it is, uh, it is separate because it's private. So we work outside of government, but obviously very closely aligned with and alongside government to get the best possible leverage and alignment. And we also work outside of our regional and local partners, but again, work alongside them to try to drive alignment. Uh, There are four things that make Jobs Ohio a unique platform in America, and it is a unique platform, not because of any one of these attributes, but the fact that there's all four together. The first is that we're private. We're not the only private economic development entity at the state level. There are several others, but the, obviously there are advantages to being private. We work with private companies. They sh- we require them to share 
information about their pricing, their product, their plans, uh, their financials, which they don't want shared with the public and, and the financial markets until they're ready to share them. And so being a private entity, we're not subject to sunshine law, so we can communicate freely with them under NDA, and we're not compelled to share them with the public. That gives us an advantage. Uh, you know, we're also very, uh, uh, very interested in transparency because, again, so many resources at place, stakes are very high. The public wants to know what's going on. So we, we make it a priority to share more information than is required. The way we measure our transparency is through GuideStar. Uh, GuideStar has given us the platinum rating for transparency uh, at least for the last four years, maybe even more than that. Uh, so the, that's the first attribute, private structure. Uh, second attribute that makes us unique is our funding source. We have an independent funding source. Ohio is a control state in terms of distribution of spiritus liquors. Uh, in 2013, the Jobs Ohio entity, the private entity, went to the bond markets, raised uh, $1.4 billion, and bought the rights to operate and use the profits from Ohio's spiritus liquor enterprise to fund economic development. And so as an example, last year was just over 300 million in net profit that we used to fund economic development. And, the, and, the, and, and that number is growing at an average year over year rate of close to 9%. Uh, so uh, our funding model, you know, we can be very flexible, we can move very quickly. Uh, again, gives us a competitive advantage. The third attribute is how we go into the marketplace. Again, Ohio is a unique state in that we, uh, as a Midwestern state, we're not dominated uh, by one large industry or one large metropolitan area, uh, like a lot of the Midwestern states are. We have city states, uh, and you know we've got the three C's: Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. All of them are very different, have a unique character, but they all have common Ohio underpinning values. But we also have Dayton and Columbus, and we've got. Dozens of hallmark type towns, small, very quaint, charming towns. And we got wide open spaces all in the same state. You can live in any one of those environments and still commute to your same job. It's really unique. Uh, but, the, you know, when companies and families locate to a state, they locate to a metropolitan area. And so we work and go into the marketplace through regional partners, six regional partners, as I mentioned, they have separate governance structures, uh, but we are the, each of their single largest funders. We do it through a contract of services that we use to align our priorities. So we're able to go from the st a state level perspective down to the granular very, very quickly through our Jobs Ohio network. That's what we call it. So that's the third attribute. We work and go into the marketplace through our network partners. And fourth is our team. And you know this because you're very familiar with the business. Economic developers, I, I would say, are the super generalists. One thing they have in common is they know their communities and their region. Uh, they can get you any place you need to be very quickly. They're passionate about it. They care about it, but not so much depth maybe in the industry sectors of the businesses that are there. And so Jobs Ohio, we pull our people from the industries that we focus on. And we focus on 10 core resilient industries that underpin the Ohio economy. And we hire people out of those industries. So when we are sitting down negotiating a deal, a complex, nuanced deal, and I'll use Intel as an example, we had 70 years of semiconductor experience at the table with us while we were negotiating with them. So we're able to put not only complex deals, we're able to do it quickly, relatively speaking, and we're able to create something that's a big win for the client 
and a big win for the state of Ohio. And the way that we calculate a return on investment, every deal has to have a return for the state of Ohio. The way we calculate that is the the taxes, the state payroll taxes from the net new jobs created from each deal are always more than the dollars of incentive that went in to get the deal in the first place. And of the 3,200 deals that we've done since 2011, the, the average payback break even to Ohio payroll taxes is 16 months. Uh, obviously, more strategic deals and larger deals, there's a, a more strategic value and we allow for a longer payback period. Uh, and we use net promoter to rank our customer service of our, of our associates. Uh, and for the last two years in a row, and I believe the same will bear out for this year, we've had a score in the mid eighties, which is in the world-class category uh, for, uh, according to the net promoter uh, uh, guidelines, uh, you know, a score over 50 is considered excellent. So the team is performing at a very high level uh, that, that, that helps go for the, the reputation of our platform. Um, and then last year, without counting Intel, uh, we did uh, supported the creation of more new jobs with more payroll through more successful economic development projects than ever in the history of our organization. And that's before counting Intel and big projects we've already announced from Ford and others. Uh, so there's a lot of momentum right now, I think, in the American Midwest overall. But uh, I, I would make the case that Ohio is leading the way in that momentum. Okay, that's great. I want to hear a little bit more. So you, you kind of piqued my interest with the uh, that ROI calculation that you talked about that you, you kind of described there. Um, I just want to get clear on it. So you were talking about the state payroll taxes kind of forming that return on investment, so to speak. But the money going into the deal, is that state incentives or are there Jobs Ohio incentives i guess how well, no these the... are there's a there's a mix typically okay. this typically the state incentives depending on the type of deal will be a performance-based job creation tax credits etc uh and the jobs ohio will do uh grants based on the number of jobs and that's by contract uh and there there are milestones and time frames and we have the ability and authority to to claw back if they don't meet those commitments but yeah we we put in grants or okay. loans and the state will put in JCTC, or if it's a big project, so they'll go to the legislature and they'll uh, put in inf dollars for infrastructure to complete the last mile water or roads or power, depending on the project. And then the locals are involved too. The locals will also be part of the overall deal, but it's all the investment resources that go into the deal that are used as the basis for the calculation of return on investment. Very good. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I wasn't certain... Uh, that, that's I guess I wasn't clear that the uh, Jobs Ohio itself also did grants as a part of this as well, even though. Oh, it, absolutely. I think a big part from my understanding would be the marketing side. So I guess is that kind of making that awareness of of Ohio uh, a big part of the organization? I, just the example, you know, for the, the Jobs Ohio billboards that you have uh, <laughs> in Austin. And I know I guess they're in other cities uh, around yeah. the, the coasts, maybe. But. Um, I guess talk a little bit about, sure. I think there's a, an ad campaign, so to speak, as a part of what your organization does too. Sure. So it's uh, it's not a large part, but but in the, the campaign you're referring to is called, we called Ohio is for Leaders. And we decided at the urging of Governor DeWine uh, it, at the very beginning of the pandemic 
to be creative and aggressive. We really felt like there was going to be some shift occurring. Uh, and we knew there was fl uh, flight occurring from the coasts. And we knew not all of them were going to go to Texas or Denver or Nashville or Florida. We knew there was a large population because I was, you know, I came back from California. Uh, we knew there, Ohio would be attractive, but we also knew we had an identity problem. So we decided to be aggressive and a bit cheeky uh, because it's not that we don't like California. We like California. We like New York. We love the United States. And we know each state has something unique to offer. We just wanted to make sure as families uh, uh, and the workforce uh, for, and, and, and businesses and their capital were starting to look inward in the country that we wanted Ohio to be part of their decision set. So we decided to get aggressive with billboards and other digital media and ads and things like that to just make sure they were aware that we are, uh, we were on, that we needed to be on the radar and it needed to be uh, a way to grab attention so they could understand what uh, the Ohio that we know has to offer versus maybe what brand has developed over the last 40 years. And you know what that brand is, you know, maybe starting after World War II, the beginning of this great migration West and South started Then in the 60s, the air conditioner gets invented and it accelerates the migration South and West for people and business. Uh, then in the 70s and 80s was a, a, a very challenging period. That's when the term Rust Belt was coined. And in the 90s, there was NAFTA, and it, it exacerbated the loss of manufacturing in particular and population. Then in the OOs, the same thing, but to Asia. And the American Midwest was, was really uh, hit hard, and Ohio was hit hard. And so over that period of time, you know, we went from the center of the industrial age uh, to a place that population was leaving to Rust Belt to a flyover to, are you Iowa? You know, I'm not sure what, to not have been part of the conversation. So we knew we, that's not, because during that same ensuing period, in particular the last 15 or 20 years, we went from being one of the worst states for business in terms of business climate. We were in the 40s out of 50. We're in the top 10 in business climate because our elected officials at all levels decided to improve our business climate. We went from 49th out of 50 states in terms of job growth in those 10 sectors to into the top 20, uh, you know, so uh, we, we, we've been improving ourselves and we wanted that Ohio to get on the radar. And, and we started doing that in those markets. And we also, uh, back when we knew that there were issues with the supply chain, we weren't sure, no one was, if reshoring was actually gonna be a thing at that time. Uh, but we decided to market ourselves as a natural place for your open and secure supply chain. I mean, frankly, we're a, a, we're, we're a one day drive and a one hour flight from 60% of the Canadian and U.S. population. We have a diverse economy. In fact, we have, according to Moody's, the ninth most diverse economy in America, the most diverse economy in the Midwest. And we're becoming more diverse uh, uh, at a faster rate than, our, than the states on the coasts. And so we marketed international markets where we believe we could center ourselves to be a great place for an open and secure supply chain. And as it turns out, uh, reshoring is a thing. So if we fast forward two years, you know, since the end of 2019, since 2019, over 50 companies and 60 projects from the coasts have, have decided to come to Ohio. Um, you know, with uh, over 15,000 new job commitments and over $20 billion of capital investment 
And in terms of reshoring, we've had 15 separate reshoring projects uh, come here. So, so, and if you look at just the, just the companies we've announced in the last 15 months, uh, Intel is obvious biggest one uh, in Ohio history. We had the largest foreign direct investment in the initial foreign direct investments in state of Ohio's history from a, a EV battery supply chain manufacturer that went into Sydney, Ohio. Ford announced 2,000 new jobs to build electric vehicles. Altium Cells, which is the GM LG Chem joint venture in Lordstown, uh, creating 1,300 jobs with a high tech manufacturing facility for EV batteries. GM announced in Toledo they would build electric motors uh, for the GM platform. And we're, we're going to have, uh, we believe, a few more announcements coming through now in the end of the year. And that's just in one sector. So, so there's, there is, a, it feels like, and the evidence would show to us that there's a reallocation of capital occurring right now, and it's coming to the American Midwest. You know, we're not the only ones benefiting from this, but believe we are, we are clearly leading the way for the American Midwest um, in, in, in terms of a, a shifting global economy right now. Yeah, it has, I guess that touched on kind of a lot of the different ways that the pandemic changed things for you. You touched on like this ad campaign for kind of capturing people potentially migrating you touched on um the the reshoring and supply chain effect were there anything else? like you kind of it sounds like you kind of changed the the organization's focus reacting to <laughs> to all the changes so, so in the world over the last we, we did and it was very interesting timing you know so we launched a, a new strategy at the end of 2019 uh, we called it Jobs Ohio 2.0, and we expanded our scope by about, yeah, we tripled it. And we we came up with those new initiatives. We did a big study on a, a, the global economy and where the gaps were and where opportunities were for Ohio. And we also, we toured the state and listened. How are we doing? What are we missing? And we came up with a series of programs. We launched a growth capital program for, again, early stage growth capital uh, we have world-class research institutions, Cincinnati Children's Medical Center, Nationwide Children's, Cleveland Clinic. Uh, but what happens is the technology comes out, uh, the entrepreneurs go to raise money, they can't raise capital. In fact, in 2018, we were 17 out of 17 peer states, dead last uh, in, in the invested growth capital in our state. And that doesn't even count California, uh, Texas, uh, Massachusetts, New York. It's everyone else. We were dead last. Um, and uh, we're number th- we were number three last year. An uh, outfit called Drive Capital, started by Mark Kwame, who was actually the, the, one of the founders of Jobs Ohio. We started our growth capital and then capital coming in from external to the state. Uh, so we started that program. We started an inclusion program that uh, created smaller set of grants that targeted underrepresented population groups and distressed communities, which have different dynamic and different needs. And in less than two years, we've already done close to 300 projects around the state of Ohio. Uh, uh, we, uh, we are, we're doing partnerships with financial institutions and, and Ohio's six port authorities so they can leverage the strength of our balance sheet. So we're not really expending dollars, but uh, it allows these port authorities and financial institutions to extend and do more lending and do more activity and economic development because they can get better ratings and, and lower lower interest rate loans. And so we're doing all kinds of things like that. And then when, when, when the pandemic hit, uh, we really leaned in uh, very hard to that. 
uh, again, at the governor's encouragement. And that's where we started the marketing campaign. Uh, uh, but the original question was how big a, 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 how much of a share does marketing get? I, I would say it's, it's in the top five, but it's, it's not the top. I mean, we, we probably, the, the, the biggest thing we do is grants and loans to companies and we, we invest in site development. That was one of our new initiatives. So we've committed $250 million over the next five years into site development. So we can have a site ready to go when the market needs it, when the company needs it. And each dollar that we invest in sites has attracted so far an additional $12 of investment in those sites. So we're seeing all parts of our state now have you know, job ready sites that are ready to go. I think I attribute that to one of the reasons we're able to move quickly and, and be competitive. And we're investing a quarter of a billion dollars in the next five years in talent, talent acquisition for these companies uh, and and also talent development and production in these yeah. companies. Let's talk about that a little bit. I, mean, I guess I wanted to talk about the <laughs> Intel deal. So I want to hear kind of how that came together and, and some of the, the highlights there. But I guess connected to that, too, is this idea of uh, the talent side of is it, how do you see it as a matter of, you know, I guess it's probably a balance of attracting people. So you have the the workforce and maybe uh, training programs as well. I guess, how do you think about some of those things? And maybe even in the context of Intel, since that's such a right. significant. So I think, I think what I could say for Intel is probably in all of the above for what we're trying to accomplish. It's, it's retaining more of what you got. It's expanding the production of the types of skills that you need. And again, the focus is on STEM and STEAM. Uh, and then uh, a third component, it's attracting. Uh, so I'll, I'll touch on a couple examples. Uh, and then we want to add to that reskilling of your existing workforce. That, that would, to me, go in the expansion category. Mm -hmm. We graduate 177,000 college graduates in Ohio each year. Almost half of them leave the state. Wow. So, so, you know, we're working through uh, investments in three innovation districts that we've made to over, over the course of 10 years, triple the production of STEM talent from the anchor Ohio universities. As an example, University of Cincinnati that graduates currently about 800 graduates a year in computer science. At the end of this arc of, of these innovation district investments, we'll graduate approximately 23 or 2,400 computer science graduates per year. So, uh, and uh, another example, uh, through a program called TechCred that's uh, really been championed by Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Husted, provides uh, funding for existing, for job, existing Ohio workers that want to upgrade their skills and talents to get certifi certain certifications that allow them to get the higher wages and work in, in the industry 4.0 economy. They can get full reimbursement uh, to get those certifications. So we're upgrading the skills of existing workers. But uh, to me, you know, the war for talent is going to be tough everywhere in this country, not just us. But we're starting, I believe, Ohio starting from a position of strength and that we have, you know, so many college students and, and so many really programs targeted at upskilling, upgrading, uh, and then uh, advancing and evolving the curriculum to match the needs of all these employers. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, and then we're tying in experiential learning co-ops and internships. And when you do that, uh, the retention can go as high as 80 to 90 percent of those 
of those students. So we're, we're, we're aggressively pursuing all of these things uh, uh, to make sure that we can retain, expand and attract. So, and then we work directly with companies like Intel and, and essentially we uh, embed ourselves, our talent team embeds uh, with the companies, not just Intel, but with co all companies that we do deals with uh, so that we can uh, help them navigate the workforce development systems in each region. And, and then we can also work very closely with them to execute a talent acquisition program using all different methods, job fairs, you know, social media like LinkedIn and other things. And so we, we, that's usually part of a customized package we put together as a talent acquisition services package where we can help uh, deliver on the talent solutions and not just you know, help them get their you know, capital expenses up for building their building etc. So um, uh, I believe the war on talent is going to be tough everywhere, uh, but we are uh, aggressively working on making sure we take advantage of Ohio's, you know, strengths. And I think, I know we're going to be successful because, you know, we're going to take advantage of this opportunity. It, it's uh, been a long time coming for our state. Yeah, definitely. Kind of both sides here are important, it sounds like. I mean, of course, from the fact that you're starting with all the you know universities there in Ohio, which is a, a huge uh, source of some of that talent and then being able to keep them if you're able to get some of these these large employers and, and tech tech jobs. So let's if, if you wouldn't mind, can you tell us a little bit more uh, about the Intel deal and, and like I say, how it came together and, and what that is uh, looking like for for Ohio right now? Sure, absolutely happy to do it. Um, you know, Intel, uh, we, we got access to the lead in, in, I believe it was May, early May of 2021. Uh, one of our local economic development partners in Northeast Ohio had reached out to Gelsinger via an email. And I don't believe Ohio was in the consideration set at that point. And so Intel's uh, team reached out. Uh, our, our regional affiliate, Team Neo in Northeast Ohio, looked for a site, you know, didn't tell I'd very, it was a very uh, complex requirement, set of requirements that they had for this site, couldn't have vibration, so it needed to be away from a highway, away from rail, uh, it needed to be, you know, 1,000 acres, you know, access to a lot of water, all kinds of things that they required in a very short period of time. Uh, they didn't have a site, so, you know, again, our Jobs Ohio network uh, through regional partners, they didn't have one available, so they quickly sent it, referred it back to Jobs Ohio on the 4th of, of May. Uh, Intel had a, we had to turn it around, it turned that around a response and I believe it was four days. We scoured the state. We found one site that made, uh, that met the requirements uh, and we submitted the response to their RFI. Uh, and I, I, I truly believe, this is just me speaking. I truly believe they were, the team was like, okay, we'll go check out Ohio. And then we'll be back and we'll just go to, you know, we'll go and finish our business. <laughs> and, and, uh, check the box and see check, so I, that's what I think. And they said, oh, and I think that uh, that was a peel of the onion. And they came back and uh, that ended up in a visit. Uh, and uh, they liked what they saw and what they heard in the visit. And ultimately, uh, the deal went from uh, first touch and May 3rd to official letter uh accepting uh, both sides having a deal in uh, December 24th. Wow. Christmas Eve. Uh, so uh, the, you know, 
and it, with the whole team really rallied. The governor was and lieutenant governor were actively involved. Their department, department of development, the whole cabinet, because again, you can imagine, you know, EPA issues, transportation issues, local uh, zoning issues, land acquisition and optioning, you name it, it was all involved. We all work together as a team. And, you know, when times are tough for an extended period, you develop lean, lean muscle mass. Uh, and I would say that the, the economic development platform had, had been so uh, wired and geared for this moment. We were not going to accept anything but a yes. And so we all worked together uh, very closely. Uh, we did everything we could do. And ultimately, we didn't have the richest deal for Intel. We were not the richest deal. Uh, but if you ask, you know, we asked them why did they why they picked us? They said because they trusted us and they believed we would deliver on our promises and that we would be a good partner through the ups and downs of a very complex and ambitious operation. And tell us some of the metrics there. So it was like twenty billion in investment. So, so the there's the first phase it was twenty billion of capital investment from Intel, three thousand direct Intel jobs. Uh, approximately 7,000 construction jobs on average through the build out and then 10,000 other, you know, spinoff induced. And then of course, there's going to be the supply chain partners, the fellow travelers and all of those. And then we're anticipating four, and now that the CHIPS Act has passed, four phases of that project. So this could be up between 80 and $100 billion of investment. Uh, and again, all that all that comes with that. Wow, that's great. Yeah, and all this spray happened before the, the CHIPS Act. So it's really just, uh, I guess, from that perspective, just getting started there in Ohio from that from that perspective. So it's a, it, Well, you know, in a lot of ways, this, this was an important reset for Intel, uh, but also an important reset for our country. You know, again, since the 2000s, we, we uh, you know, for reasons that are understandable, but, you know, we can all look back in the rearview mirror and court, Monday morning quarterback it, but, uh, we you know we have exposed ourselves in very critical industries, and um, so this is a, as much a reset for Intel, our country, and uh, our state. And I think if you're going to bet on a state that's going to roll up its, its sleeves, do what it says it's going to do, rally around you, work for a higher purpose, it's it's the state of Ohio. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, thanks, JP. I really appreciate you you joining us today. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I guess if folks want to see more, you've got Jobs Ohio, they can reach out to you directly as well. I mean, it sounds like such a unique organization. There might be folks interested in figuring out how they can try to try to, to buy some business that will support their economic development efforts. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll be able to replicate it, but it's, it sounds like a, a very interesting model that might might be helpful. So thanks again, JP. Really appreciate it. Thank you for your time and the opportunity. Appreciate it. Thanks for what you're doing. Great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. For more information on this podcast or to listen to podcast episodes, check out impactdatasource.com.